Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. Welcome back to the podcast, guys. This is the number one podcast for dads in their 40s who want to improve their health and fitness. And this is episode 86. And today, we're joined on the show by Dr. Debbie Rice from Dutch Test. And we're going to be discussing the details around what cortisol is and the importance of it, particularly for men who are 40 plus. Dr. Rice is a naturopathic doctor who uses multiple modalities, including diet and lifestyle, botanical medicine and conventional approaches that meet the patient where they're at in their health journey. Dr. Rice's passions also include activism for access to healthcare, yoga and exploring nature. Hey Debbie, thanks very much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'm pleased you agree to come on uh, to the podcast and talk about a topic which I'm very interested in personally. And I believe the audience will also um, get a lot of benefit actually from understanding cortisol uh, and cortisol levels and you know the the, the upsides and the downsides from it um, yeah. but, but before we get into that can you give us a bit of background on yourself and Dutch test sure yes well I my name is Debbie Rice and I am the assistant medical director here at Dutch so um, the lab itself is called precision analytical also known as the Dutch test Cool. Dutch actually stands for dried urine testing for comprehensive hormones. So I know a lot of people think they're like, where does Dutch come from? <laughs> That's where it comes from. Um, and I am a naturopathic physician. I am licensed right. through an accredited university here in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. I have a small practice on the side, but my, my big my big commitment is to the lab, um, yeah. and that's mostly because I, I love hormones and hormone testing, and right. that's what the Dutch test is. So, yeah, yeah I um, and I will say the Dutch test is, um, you know, in the world of functional medicine, we have all sorts of modalities and tools to utilize, and the Dutch test is very specific, and so that's kind of where I've been able to hone in right. on um, testing and treatment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole kind of, for me at least, the whole kind of naturopathic medicine and the functional medicine areas seem to be coming more mainstream now than they perhaps were when, when, when you got involved with them. And, you know, it's almost like there's this, this kind of shift taking place from being more aware of your health up front as opposed to when we get sick. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so what's, what's your take on kind of where we sit? Obviously, we've got the whole coronavirus thing at the moment, which is terrible. But where's your take on, on medicine and the way that we deal with our health currently? So I think that there are, I would say, kind of two camps, right? Like when we look at med- medicine in general and why people go to the doctors, yeah. we have the acute stuff. And then we have kind of the lifestyle stuff. And 
you know, functional medicine falls more on that kind of lifestyle, what I call gray area Mm -hmm. of medicine, where acute care and um, emergency medicine are obviously super helpful and beneficial, but they are very targeted and very good at dealing with emergency situations. You know, you have the flu, you broke your arm, you know, like those kinds of things. They're very equipped, very helpful with that. Mm -hmm. But we miss the part of, well, what was the process leading up to that? And when you go home, what happens then? And how are you managing your health on a day-to-day basis? Where I think a lot of us just kind of get into a pattern of, you know, processed foods and eating out and doing this because we don't have time, you know, like all of us are pressed for time. We all have very busy schedules. Mm -hmm. And so our overall health ends up kind of falling off to the side and we don't really pay attention or think of that until something happens that shifts us to like, Oh, okay. Well, maybe I need to think about my sleep pattern, my eating pattern, my exercise, you know, all of that. So, I mean, there are certainly certain, um, populations that are more focused on that, you know, like our, um, our athletes and, um, but I, I think in general, that gray area gets missed a lot. And that's where functional medicine can really fill in the holes where if you go to the doctor because you feel X, Y, and Z, but the doctor says, well, I ran all the tests and everything looks normal. You know, it's like, okay, well, the doctor's telling me I'm normal, but I don't feel normal. That gray area functional medicine can certainly, you know, do a little bit more investigating, tease that, you know, tease what's happening with your life kind of apart and see what we can do to help support that and improve that. Yeah, I think that's a really important point, actually, like the gray area point that you made there was is because, you know, sometimes, like you say, because we are so busy and rushing through life, we kind of ignore that that kind of and, and, and you call it a gray area and it can actually be a gray area in your kind of how you're feeling in your performance, can't it? Because, yes. you know, it can be like a bit foggy or you're, you know, a lot of people use the word groggy or they don't feel themselves, but they kind of, like you say, brush it off to one side and just kind of carry on going about their day and use whatever's available to them to kind of pick them up or make them feel better. Whereas I feel that if we're a little bit more introspective and we pay more attention to the way that we feel and the way that we are on certain days, weeks and months, we're able to kind of build up more of a pattern as to how we perhaps should be feeling or performing and stuff like that. And I think when we do that and then you use the functional medicine element of it, I think you can really shift your perspective on what health actually is. Um, And obviously, you know, at the time that we're in right now, you know, health has been, you know, we've never had a bigger threat in my lifetime, at least to, to our kind of overall health. And I think now is, is a, prime time for us to really start to kind of take that deeper dive that deeper look into kind of how we feel and how we perform so obviously today you know you came on you've come on the podcast today because we're going to talk about cortisol now for me cortisol is a is a kind of a banded around term that that's used in the kind of sports and fitness space and you know a lot of people know it to be you know it can be raised via caffeine and you know it can uh it's a stress hormone and also it can you know it's particularly men it can cause us if we have elevated levels of cortisol just to, to store fat so 
with all what I've just said there, how much of that is correct and how much of it is incorrect? And, and what can we learn from cortisol? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I would love to say that cortisol is simple, but it's not, you know, <laughs> and everybody's response to cortisol or how their body uses their cortisol is going to be different, right? Because your definition of stress may be different than my definition of stress. And one of the things that we have to remember too is that cortisol or stress response will happen whether it's real or perceived. Right. So, you know what I mean? So whether a saber toothed tiger is actually chasing you Mm. or you just feel like it's chasing you, your stress response is still going to be there to keep you safe. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think when we look at cortisol, I mean, everything you said is absolutely correct. Right. Um, it is one of the stress hormones and it's probably the most common stress hormone that we know. Mm-hmm. Um, cortisol is, you know, I feel like cortisol, poor cortisol gets a bad rap because, <laughs> you know, a lot of us think cortisol bad, but yeah. that's not the case, right? Like all of these hormones, I call them the Goldilocks hormones because you have to have them in the right amount and everybody's going to be a little bit different in what that right amount is going to be. But if you have too much, it's an issue. If you have too little, it's yeah. an issue. Now, the challenging part of that is like trying to chase your cortisol and figure out what it's doing and how it's doing and why it's doing mm-hmm. that. So cortisol is our daytime hormone, right? So it's very important and influenced by our circadian rhythm. Right. So when we look at your sleep-wake cycle, that's going to be a huge influencer and how our cortisol responds throughout the day. And we want to be able to create an environment that our adrenal glands and that cortisol producer feels like, okay, I can handle this versus like either freaking out all the time or have been freaking out so long Mm -hmm. that now your cortisol is like, I I'm done. Like I don't have any more left to give, you know? And that's where finding that balance of too high, too low, or just right is going to be very important. Yeah. So finding the balance though is to my mind is, is, is difficult. And like you said there, which is really important, it's very much on an individual basis. Um, so how, um, I mean, you know, we can talk about stress, we can talk about caffeine and things like that, which obviously can influence the levels. Absolutely. But what other things can we be aware of other than obviously having a test to, to kind of realize that maybe they're getting slightly elevated or, you know, Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great question too, because there are a lot of people that kind of disconnect from themselves just so that they can do what they need to do. Right. And so it's being able to kind of sit back into your body and realize, okay, how am I feeling? Am I tired when I wake up? Do I feel like I'm dragging myself through the day? What is my brain motivation like? Right. Like, Mm -hmm. Do I have to talk myself into being motivated through the day or do I just have that motivation to go? Um, Do I feel low? Like, is my mood good? How is my mood? Do I feel like I even like want to face the day? Um, And even looking at, okay, so you've been able to get yourself through the day and you've been able to get to your workout. Say you do your workout and you just feel completely like you have to have at least a day to recover both like your muscles and just, you know, from feeling brain fogged and tired. That's a big thing. But I think the, the, 
bigger things that we look at are, are you feeling hyper-stimulated when things happen to you? Like, are you hyper-reactive when things happen? You know, this happened and then this happened and this happened and everything just piles on and you get overwhelmed and your response is more than it would have been. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you also just feel kind of buried and tired and lower mood, you know? So I feel like those imbalances are either that too much where you're just kind of like up here and everything is enough to like send you, um, you know, railing or it just kind of keeps burying you and you're just like, Oh, okay. Another, another thing. Like it's just heavier and heavier to get out of my Mm -hmm. fog to do what I need to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's really key because you know, I think from a, definitely from a male perspective, obviously I can talk from, from a male perspective, yeah. but you know, it's, it's, we, I, and I think a lot of this is due to upbringing and how kind of you were dealt with when you were a child in, in so much as my belief is that if you, as a child, if when you hurt yourself or you, you know, you didn't feel right, you kind of was brushed off, you're more inclined as an adult male to brush that off you know, like you've just said, whereas if you have been, you know, had more balance in your upbringing and you're more likely to be introspective and and ignore those signs. And I feel that men particularly will ignore that stuff. They will ignore the kind of, you know, dragging themselves out of bed or their response to a kind of stressful, what they perceive to be a stressful situation. Um, and and not stop to think because we kind of we, you know we, it's almost like the hunter gatherer mentality, isn't it? Your men has to go out; they have to you know slay the day Divide. and they have to kind of keep yes. pushing through and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I I have definitely become way more introspective and in how I'm feeling now. So yeah, I think that's such an important point for people to realise who are listening to this, and that is, you know, if you do feel a little bit stressed because the kids are kicking off, or you know, you re- you respond in a certain way at work, and that's not how you would normally respond, then you know, that's maybe just a flag to say, hold on a minute, you know, how am I yeah. feeling? Why am I feeling like this? Well, and that's a great point too, because I think there is a like by the time a man has come into my office it's because there are some significant symptoms, right? Right, And so being able to, you know, our body creates this kind of pattern. And so there's this inertia in mm-hmm. a pattern or routine that you do. And, you know, you get to this point and you're like, well, how did I get here? And so the question really is, okay, yeah. I mean, there's tons of things that we can do to evaluate and support this, but the bigger thing is what was the path that led you there, right? And being able to identify that. So trying to check in with yourself is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean that you are weak or that you are not able to do what you're supposed to do. It's really, you know, taking a step forward in your healthcare so that in the future, Mm. you don't have these big, you know, major things to deal with. When we look at how, you know, cortisol, its immediate response is supposed to help save you from anything dangerous, right? So it has a very beneficial effect at first. Mm -hmm. But if we keep getting that cortisol push, cortisol push, cortisol push, you know, every day you're continuing to push that cortisol, you start to have this chronic output of high cortisol. And this is where we look at those kind of longer term um, symptom presentations. And for males in general, the big things are low mood or depression, sadness, Mm -hmm. weight gain, um, 
And inability to have that same kind of muscle mass or muscle response when you're working out. Okay. Um, and erectile issues or libido okay. issues. Those right. are the, um, yeah, those are the big things that bring men into my office. Right. Right. Okay. And so by the time, because that's when things are like, okay, now something's yeah. wrong. Right. But it's like, okay, well, let's maybe try to get you before that happens, mm. you know, so that we can yeah. keep that good quality of life for you instead of having to like redo all of this stuff to get you back there. Yeah. And I think, I think that's another thing. And I always use the car analogy, right? So, you know, it's kind yes. of, you know, making sure you're aware of the amber light coming on before the red light comes on, which completely stops you dead. Right. Um, yes. And some of the stuff that you've, you've, you've described there with low libido, with, you know, mood, um, muscle mass, that, from my knowledge, sounds lot, a lot like what happens when guys have a low testosterone. So what's the correlation between cortisol yeah. and testosterone? Yeah, so our body is evolutionarily smart, right? So cortisol is definitely going to be that hormone that is there for that fight or flight response. And just because of evolution, whether it's a saber toothed tiger running after you, or it's your boss putting these deadlines or, you know, whoever is putting those deadlines out there for you, your body's going to have that same evolutionary response, right? It's going to push out that cortisol so that you can run from that saber toothed tiger, be, be it whatever it is. Um, when your body is in that fight or flight mode, it shuts down all of these other things that are not supposed to happen while you're running from a saber toothed tiger, right? So when you're running from that stress, you have increased blood pressure, you have increased focus, you have, um, increased glucose release from the liver so that your muscles can function, you know, so your body puts it on that. It's like, okay, all systems go, we're doing that. What it shuts off is your rest and digest and um, reproduction and immune function, right? So when we look at that directly correlated to sex hormones or testosterone, when you're running from that saber-toothed tiger, your body's like, yo, this is not a good time for you to start making babies, right? Like we're running from the saber-toothed tiger. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted here. This is our main priority. So when that happens, you end up having this down regulation of your immune system, of your sex hormones for males. That's looking at your testosterone um, and digestion too. So, right. So right. then how well are we absorbing our nutrients that also help to make your hormones, right? So it's this whole cascade of, of effect that happens when your body is just like running wild. Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Now you've, you've explained it like that, you know, the, the fight or flight running away from the site, you know, can't even pronounce it, from the tiger. <laughs> the big, <laughs> the big bad, ugly thing, fight. yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, why would you have high testosterone levels in that scenario? You know, that just makes complete sense, right? Because you have to get out of danger. Um, but yeah, so that's really interesting. So, but in terms of how, in general, how throughout the day cortisol would function assuming that we are you know in good health and we have the right levels you know and we are not perceiving to be in a stressful state because my understanding is that elevated cortisol levels in the morning is actually quite good for us i would say not too elevated right like we want to have a good um elevation so nighttime we have melatonin right And then as we start to wake up, right, like our little pineal gland 
ends up getting these little signals that light is happening, things are stirring, right? Like it can hear the birds chirping and all of that stuff. So it starts to signal in your brain, okay, it's time to wake up. And so your cortisol starts to increase when you're getting up and ready for your day. And we do expect the highest peak of cortisol to happen after you wake up. So we really want this cortisol to have this nice rise in the morning get you ready for your day and then fall throughout the day. And then once it falls, you know, then it's nighttime and melatonin takes over. So this is the, you know, nice um, exchange between cortisol and melatonin. So we do want to have this nice rise of cortisol. Now we don't want it too high because right. that can, again, be problematic and we don't want it too low. Um, Dr. Carrie Jones always says, if you can't get the first, you know, hour of your day, right, how do you expect the rest of the day yeah. to go? Yes. And it's a really good point, right? Like mm -hmm. if you can't get that appropriate cortisol response that we're expecting, that that physiologic response that we're expecting, the rest of your day is probably not going to go mm -hmm. as awesome as you want it to. So that cortisol awakening response is going to be really important. And it's highly influenced by your day-to-day -day routine, okay. by your quality of sleep. Mm -hmm. by the demands that you feel from day to day. And it can also influ be influenced by mood. And it's hard to know, you know, which causes which, but there's a big correlation between mood and your waking cortisol as well. So that's a big consideration too. You know, like if you can't get that cortisol appropriately responding, it's mm -hmm. also going to affect that, you know, ability or that mood kind of motivation that you have to take on the rest of your day. Yeah, yeah, that that all makes makes logical sense. And so, as we progress throughout the day, then my understanding, particularly around caffeine, is that yes. that can have a really big impact on our cortisol levels. And obviously, high amounts of caffeine. Caffeine is a stimulant, and it's good to maybe you know get us going. It has polyphenols if you've got the you know the the stuff uh, coffee from the beans directly ground. Yeah. But obviously, we don't want to keep having lots and lots of caffeine for lots of other reasons, but specifically around cortisol, how does mm -hmm. caffeine affect that? Yeah, so, and that's a great question. And I feel like there's, um, when we look at the effect of caffeine, I don't feel like caffeine, like if you're having a, you know, eight ounce cup of coffee every morning and you do that every morning, yeah, you're, it kind of helps it can help you get a little bit more focused and up and ready for your day. Does that negatively affect your cortisol? Probably not. In the research, if you have a daily small cup of caffeine in the morning, that's okay, right? Like it's not going to offset your cortisol. Now, if you're the person that's like, well, you know, I have caffeine like three times a month, you're probably going to feel that like whoop of caffeine when you have it. But if you have more caffeine after that initial small cup of coffee in the morning. This is where we see it actually build your cortisol levels and increase your cortisol levels. And most right. of us will end up having that like two o'clock cup of coffee, you know, yeah. 2 p.m., 3 p.m., maybe 5 p.m., depending on your work schedule. And if you've already had your morning cup of coffee, you end up having this exponential response on cortisol. So research shows this, it's in the research, right? Like you can have like a normal cup of coffee, it's probably not going to have a huge detriment to your cortisol functioning in the morning. Right. But if you end up having a second cup, even two hours later yeah. or more, this is where you start to see that increase, that push in cortisol. 
And that's not what we want in the afternoon, no. right? So in the afternoon, we've already started to have our decrease in cortisol so that we can have that nighttime support. And if you have that push of cortisol in the afternoon and at nighttime, you're getting this misfiring or missignaling of what your cortisol should be doing. Right. And then if you're doing that on a daily basis or even more of a regular basis, your cortisol starts following that pattern. Okay. And again, we fall into, if you're not getting your cortisol down, your melatonin doesn't know that it's time to help you sleep. So then melatonin is affected. And when it comes to testosterone, so in males, our testosterone is made during your sleeping time, right? So if you're not sleeping, if you're not getting good sleep, if you're not getting good quality sleep, your testosterone never gets the chance to do its job. Right. And so that's where cortisol can negatively affect your sleep pattern and testosterone. Mm -hmm. But then again, you also have, you know, research shows that if we have consistently elevated, males have consistently elevated levels of cortisol, okay. it, you know, it suppresses that testosterone production. So you have a couple things going on. Overall cortisol being elevated all the time. Again, right? So you're running from that saber-toothed tiger, not yeah. time to reproduce, not sexy time. No. And if you are suppressing your melatonin, mm -hmm. then your melatonin doesn't allow, like during sleep time, just in general, that's our time to like, our body goes through and cleans out everything, recharges everything. Yeah. Um, not just testosterone, but specifically for males, that's where you get your testosterone machine going. If you right. don't get the signal to do that, you have another, like, right, double whammy, right? So you have high cortisol and low sleep productivity of testosterone. Yeah, so it's it's a it's really a snowball effect, isn't it? Really, um, yes. when you kick all of that off, and so. But my one question, when you were talking there, I was thinking about so how does that, how does that then work when we are working out for 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 example? So because my in my mind, from what you've just said, is that you know when we are working out, whilst it's good for us, it's it's stressing the body, isn't it? Yes. So does that then mean that cortisol levels are elevated even further or how does it work from that perspective? Yeah, that's a good question. You will get a little bump of cortisol um, when you're okay. working out and testosterone. If you like, if you are in a healthy range of cortisol, yeah. depending on what time you work out, your recovery mm -hmm. should still be, it's not the same kind of effect as caffeine. Okay. So you're still getting this really good, healthy benefit of, you know, cardiovascular support, muscular support, as long as you are not already either burnt out or overstimulated. Mm -hmm. So if you have a good cortisol pattern, your recovery is going to be a big part of how your body is responding to that workout too. Yeah. So whether you work out at five in the morning or five in the evening, right? You know, everybody might be a little bit different in how they feel. Some people yeah. love working out in the morning and that's great. Um, some people feel better and they work out, you know, after work, um, just because mm. they feel like that's where they get their push. Um, as long as it's not negatively affecting their cortisol and their cortisol is well balanced and you can test that, right? So you could see how your body is in general yeah. um, and how the body recovers from that. Right. That's a great question. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's super interesting actually, because for me, I generally not all of the time but i generally have a cup of black coffee before i work out about half an hour before i work out because i mm -hmm. see that that gives me the stimulation boost to kind yeah. of keep me going because i'm really against all of these pre-workout drinks i really 
don't like them because of yeah. the nonsense that goes into them. Absolutely, so, so yeah. My, my perception was that I, by having the coffee and then working out, I'm actually doubling the cortisol. But from what you said, that doesn't have the same response, doesn't have the same impact. Yeah, yes. Just because they're different, different signals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that the body gets. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that makes and I know that there are some people that will like, instead of, you know, black coffee, they'll just take a caffeine pill right. to work out. Now that said, if, if you feel better with caffeine um, mm -hmm. and working out, it may also be that your pattern for working out has to shift more towards the morning time for you to improve that right. cortisol response. Yeah. Um, so that may also be a consideration depending on the person. Okay. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. So yeah. But when we're talking about cortisol and storage of fat, how, you know, how does that work? Because I've, I've read a lot of stuff and I heard a lot of people talking about the fact that if you have elevated cortisol levels, then there is, you know, studies to show that you can store fat around your lower abdomen or lower belly um, mm -hmm. when that happens. Can you give us some insight into that? Yeah. So, and it's hard to know for sure, you know, which one comes first is the high cortisol. And it, a lot of times it's likely if you have a generally good, um, lifestyle that yeah. there was a stressful thing that happened. And because of that stress response, right, because cortisol enables more sugar released into the bloodstream, you know, you end up getting this overload of sugar. And if you never really kind of shift out of that stress response, mm -hmm. your body ends up getting all of the sugar. And then it's like, all right, well, yeah, I don't know what to do with all of this. So mm -hmm. then it starts to store it. And so it becomes this cycle, right? Like now you're storing the sugar and then you're creating, you know, putting sugar into these fat cells and mm -hmm. your fat cells actually sequester cortisol. So it's almost like they become their own little endocrine factory where they're also pumping out cortisol. So you right. get this like ongoing cycle that can be really difficult to break. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it's, it's because of that initial stress response that your body just can't calm itself down. And then right. it just starts this whole routine of storing that sugar. Mm -hmm. um, even though initially it was so that it could give you energy, right? Yeah. But if yeah. you're not balancing that stress response well, then it becomes your middle tire. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, yeah I know exactly what you mean, but it, I mean that it's interesting because I've recently learned that also with the advent of a spike in insulin in the bloodstream, it actually enables our fat cells to store that sugar easier. Is that, is that mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. Yeah. So insulin is what I call the, he's the one that goes down in your, in your system. When sugar enters the body, mm -hmm. there's a whole cascade of hormone responses that happen. Mm -hmm. And insulin is like the flag, the flagger that runs through your bloodstream and is like, Hey, all the cells open up your little storage tanks because sugar's coming through. Right. And the way that we're designed is, okay, we need to grab that sugar into the cells because we don't know when we're going to need it again. And okay. so insulin is the little flagger that runs through and it's like, all right, everybody open your doors. And so yeah. then, you know, sugar goes through the bloodstream and then it gets dumped into the cells. Yeah. And so that's where you start to get now a healthy response 
is, you know, insulin does its job, you get the sugar into the cells, and then you use that sugar. Right. And unhealthy responses, you get too much sugar. And a lot of times it's because one, stress, but two, also a lot of our foods, especially for eating a lot of processed foods, the mm -hmm. things that help to keep those processed foods stable mm -hmm. are sugars and things that, you know, help to improve the taste of it are sugar. So we end up getting sugar on top of sugar on top of sugar. So our body gets overloaded with all of those sugars and we don't have the same kind of output right. physically to use all of the sugar from those cells. And so that's where you get that upregulation of that insulin and then sugar storage. Yeah, that make, that does make sense. So in terms of when we're talking there about foods and cortisol, obviously we've, we've spoken about caffeine, but are there any mm. other foods know, other than kind of the generic processed foods, if you like, which yeah. can cause a, 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 a cortisol spike or raising of the levels? So that's a great question because I feel like it would be awesome if there was just this awesome, this little list that was like, don't eat yeah. this, do eat this. Um, what we find though is, so inflammatory foods, pro-inflammatory foods are going to increase an inflammatory response, which can increase cortisol. So, and each person might be different, right? Like I might not be able to have dairy, but so-and-so may be able to have dairy. So when I have dairy, my response, my inflammatory response increases, but this other person's response may not. Right. And so on that individual basis of what that looks like for inflammatory foods that may be, you know, individual and have an effect on your cortisol. Mm -hmm. The other thing about cortisol is so cortisol and insulin work as partners because okay. our body gets our energy from two main sources, cortisol and our blood sugar, right? So the food that we eat. Mm -hmm. So if we're not eating well-balanced for our body throughout the day, you can also get these spikes and drops in cortisol as well. Right. So it's also about timing of food mm -hmm. and that's going to be different for every person, right? Like some people do intermittent fasting and their bodies love it. Yeah. And that's great. You know, their body, their insulin has been able to balance that. It's been able to find a good pattern for you. There are some other people that just do horribly on an intermittent fasting diet. And that's because their body's not able to manage their blood sugar well, and that can negatively affect that cortisol response. Okay. So it's not just about the food that is in your system, which, you know, can trigger or not that inflammatory or cortisol response. It's also about the timing of your food throughout the day, because that's going to really affect how that cortisol responds as well. Yeah, that, I think that's, that's very interesting because I think I've thought for a long time that timing is, is very key um, yes. around food consumption and what you're consuming at certain times. Obviously, you know, you, you've now confirm that and i think that's the other important point as well as, as around the intermittent fasting obviously at the moment it's very popular a lot of people are yes. doing it but it's so important and I, I, you know, i've been mocked quite a few times by another podcast guest who where i said that it, there's not one size that fits all um and he didn't believe that that to be true and i you know i'm saying well i believe it is because we're all individuals you know you don't have to look at our yes. gut microbiomes and everything else like that. It's all completely unique yes. to us. Yes. Um, so I think timing is, is very, very important. I mean, look, studies have shown that intermittent fasting works, but it's about coming back to what we said in the beginning about being, you know, having this introspection and having this awareness about what works for us, not having the placebo effect necessarily, that because everybody right. else is doing it, right, we're doing it. I feel amazing, right? Because you can convince yourself yes. quite yeah. easily, can't you? Oh, sure. 
Yeah. So um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So when we um, obviously the, the only real way I guess to understand what our cortisol levels are doing is to have a test. But in terms of the testing, is it a test that really needs to happen over a period of time or how, what's the most efficient way to understand where your levels are at? Great question, because there are a couple ways that you can test for cortisol and cortisol function throughout the day. Um, serum or blood testing for cortisol, I would say is used a lot for some people just because, you know, insurance covers blood yeah. work. But what we have to remember with any kind of cortisol at a blood draw is that is one point in time. Right. And cortisol is a diurnal hormone, meaning it has a wave effect throughout the day. So it doesn't right. stay consistent throughout the day. Right. So again, for cortisol, we expect that rise in the morning and that fall throughout the day. So if you get your cortisol drawn in the blood, it's going to be at that point in time. 8 a.m., 2 p.m., whenever that is. So it only lets us know where the cortisol is at that point in time. We don't know what the pattern looks like. Mm -hmm. And when it's drawn in serum, it's actually protein bound. So it's not what's free and available for the body to use. So it's not a great presentation uh, okay. of what your body has available for you to use. So a blood draw gives you some information, but it depends on what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. There is also salivary testing for cortisol. And most of the time with salivary testing, it's done throughout, you know, a 24, like a 12 to 24 hour period. Yeah. So you'll do a salivary swab or spit in a tube four or five times throughout a day. And what the point is of that is trying to get that when you wake up, you know, about two hours later around dinner time and around bedtime. And they're looking for that diurnal pattern. Mm -hmm. So what that daytime pattern looks like, that's going to be a better representation because we get multiple points throughout the day. So we can see kind of what that wave or that pattern is for cortisol, right. which is good. And that's the free cortisol and saliva. So that tells us what's free and available for your body to use, what's active and how your body's using it throughout the day. Yeah. Okay. The Dutch test, which is dried urine, means that you pee on these little strips multiple times throughout the day. So again, four or five times throughout the day. So we can get that kind of diurnal pattern. We can see what yeah. your cortisol is doing. With the Dutch test, you get the free cortisol, which is important, what's free and available for your body to use. But on the Dutch test, we also get the total cortisol production. So in that 12 to 24 hour period, when you do the collection, you know, from waking to bedtime or in the Dutch collection, you can do it overnight, right? So you start at dinner time, bedtime. If you do wake up in the middle of the night, as soon as you wake up and then two hours later, we're still looking for that diurnal pattern, right? Like mm. what's happening at nighttime, what's happening when you wake up in the morning. Um, the Dutch test also gives us at the end of that, how much cortisol was actually produced. So we're looking at not just what's free and available, but mm -hmm. also what is made. So is your body making and using an appropriate amount of cortisol? So I look at the Dutch test as a little bit more complete yeah. with regard to what your body's making, how much your body's making, what your body's doing with that cortisol, how it's using your cortisol throughout the day. Yeah, that makes sense. And so as you were saying that, I was thinking, because I, I was testing my, I had a continual blood glucose monitor on um, earlier mm. in the year. And yeah. I had raised insulin levels in the morning. 
And mm -hmm. is that correct with in coming in line with cortisol? So my cortisol levels are raised and therefore that creates a spike in insulin. Is that correct? It's quite possible. I mean, yeah. We wouldn't know for sure until we tested. Right. Um, but when we do have, you know, because insulin tries to help signal your body when your body needs glucose, right? So depending on how long your body has been fasting and whether your insulin needs to spike to let some of that glucose out, um, how well managed your glucose is mm -hmm. influences when your cortisol is going to have those spikes throughout the day. So if you right. are having consistently raised insulin, you're likely going to have a similar glucose response. Right. Okay. So I'm sorry, cortisol response. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So when we obviously let, let's say for argument's sake, we we've had a test and we've realized that our cortisol levels are quite high, that are quite elevated. What are the general recommendations that we can, you know, use in order to kind of bring that within a level of acceptance really? Yeah. So the biggest thing I'm going to look at is what's your daily pattern? What's your, what are your daily stressors? what can we do with your day-to-day -day lifestyle mm -hmm. to help improve that? You know, if you are overstimulated in the morning, we would look at how is your sleep? Are you sleeping well? What is your sleep pattern? How do you feel when you wake up? And do we support that by doing more of like a calming thing? Do we need to do more of a meditative thing in the morning for you? Do we need to do um, less coffee in the morning for you? Yeah. Do we need to do less stimulating things in the morning for you to help stabilize okay. that response? Or if you have a lower response, maybe we actually need to get you moving, right? Like we want to get sunshine on your eyes, right? Mm -hmm. So you can get that cortisol response. We want to get your body moving so you can get your cortisol raised to be able to do that. And there are certainly nutraceuticals or nutritional supports, um, herbs and or um, amino acids that can also okay. influence yeah. that cortisol response for you. So there are definitely natural options that can help improve or optimize that cortisol response for you but definitely also looking at what's happening lifestyle wise to get you to that point yeah. and help optimize or adjust that for you yeah and i think that's the interesting point isn't it really it, it is about understanding how you're living your life little things because we're very quick to dismiss little things that we do in life or you know the, cl the classic one i always hear is well i don't eat that much or, you know, I don't, yes. you know, I don't eat, I don't eat badly. Okay. Right. Define for me what badly is and explain. Yes. And it's like, right. Yeah. When you start to analyze it, you know, you can really, some small little changes in your lifestyle can yield massive results, huge results. Mm -hmm. And, and oh, I, yeah. I agree with you. You know, sleep is, I think it's becoming more, um, there's more being spoken about it, how important it is. And, and I track my sleep with, with multiple devices, funnily enough. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really interested and, and to, to find out how I'm sleeping in terms of my REM sleep, my deep sleep. Yes. Um, because it has a huge impact and, and, it ha and it snowballs throughout the day, right? Because you know, if you wake up not having enough sleep, you know, you are naturally going to start to search for stimulants, maybe sugars, yes. beans, yes. this kind of thing. So, yeah, I think it's really important that we kind of recognize that, you know, you don't necessarily need to have all these huge changes to your, to your life. No. Just reflect on where you're at and what you're doing right now, right? 
Uh, yes, can... even I would say one of like a big culprit, especially for busy parents, right, mm -hmm. is like the kids finally go to bed and then the parents go and watch like Netflix and binge on a show together because that's their time. Or they're like, can finally have a beer or a glass yeah. of wine to relax. Yeah. And it's like, those are important, right? Because it's, it's you spending time yeah. with somebody or even just some, you know, like downtime for yourself. But if it cuts into your good sleep and say that even during that time, you're like, well, I also have, you know, like some food or whatever, you know, those small habits can make a big difference with how mm. your sleep quality goes, yeah. which again, influences what your cortisol does the next morning. Um, and it's, it's hard because you're like, but don't I deserve a break? Absolutely. But we <laughs> yeah, also, you know, yeah. if you're <laughs> right, but if you're doing that every night, right. And so it's, it's yeah. being able to reflect on that. Am I doing this nightly? How often is this happening? How do I feel the next day? What is the long-term effect of all of that? And cause I know sometimes it ends up being like, well, you know, it was only supposed to be Friday nights that that was our thing, but then it's yeah. now every night. And especially with, coronavirus yeah. and quarantine yeah. and all of that. Right. I can't tell you how many people have been like, well, you know, when quarantine happened, it was almost like a vacation. So we all went nuts. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, and yeah. it's, it's true. And then it's like, oh my gosh, trying to find a pattern and everything that has just completely changed yeah. is also challenging. Right. So it's, yeah. it is being able to step back, evaluate, even just the the day-to-day -day patterns and, and what's one changed, mm. but two also helping or not, you know, like what's your yeah. benefit, what's your detriment. Yeah. And, and then, then I think it's almost like, well, okay, you weigh it up, you know, if you're going to do it fine, just, but just accept that yeah. you're probably not going to have the best night's sleep and therefore you're probably not right. going to have the best start to your day the following totally. day. And, you know, yes. I know that if I, this is really what I found from what, tracking my sleep, if I eat within three hours of me going to bed, my heart rate is only slightly elevated, but because the digestive system is still processing, yeah. I have a, not a good night's sleep at all. Yes. So. You're not the only, you are not the only person who has told me that. Um, it's, and even though digestion is rest and digest, right, your body still has to be doing something mm. and really like when you're sleeping your body should be shut down yeah. so that your all your brain can go through and clean all of its neurons and clean all of its hormones you know like it goes through mm. and does the whole like let's clean everything and recharge everything yeah and it can't yeah. do that if it's still working on digesting things definitely not definitely not so that's yeah. really really interesting debbie so before we um wrap it up today are there five key things you think that people could take away from the podcast today to kind of just implement or consider changing in their, their daily lives to make sure they're, they're on top of their cortisol? Great question. I think um, a huge thing is your sleep-wake cycle, making sure that you are protective of your sleep. Like my, yeah, one of my highest priorities is making sure that people evaluate their sleep and honor their sleep. Right. Um, the second one would be also making sure that their blood sugar is stable throughout the day that you are eating correctly for your body. Right. You know, I have those people that are like, well, you know, I only have so many calories, but they're all at dinner time. And yeah. so 
does that work for you or does it not? You know, if there are symptoms going on, evaluate that for you. Um, making sure that you are moving your body daily. So not saying that you have to like run a marathon every day, right. but that you are moving, right? Like they are saying now that, you know, being sedentary is like the, the new smoking. Yeah. Because, uh-huh. yeah, right. And it's true because yeah. you're like, if your body's not moving, you're not getting blood flow. You're not getting muscle activation. If you're not getting muscle activation, your brain gets sad. So, yeah. you know, like our bodies really respond to that. So making sure that you're moving, even if it's a walk around the block or some gentle yoga, um, but implementing movement and healthy movement for you every yeah. day. Um, hydration is another yes. big one. So I think making sure that you are hydrated. A lot of people are like, well, you know, I drink four cups of coffee a day. That doesn't count. (laughs) It's not count as hydration. Um, Your bubbly water also does not count as just your only sole source of hydration, right? So our bodies are very, very sensitive to that. And then the fifth one I would say is create fun. Make sure that you have joy in your life. So if you're just kind of, you know, nose to the grindstone and that's what you're doing every day and you don't have time for sleep or eating or fun, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, there has I, to be I something agree. to look forward to. Yeah, I agree. And, and that's a in, very interesting last point that you made there because somebody else made that to me a few weeks ago now. And they say that adults lose the ability to play. You know, if you yeah. look at young children, you know, you know, when they're kind of 18 months, three years old, that's all they is incorporated into their daily yeah. lives. And, and as we get older, more responsibility, more serious, whatever it is, we lose that ability and there's a, you know, it really helps, you know, with our mood and our outlook and our perspective if we just do that, yes. right? So much. Mm. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I don't, this will be like my five point B. <laughs> um, because there's been research about, you know, hugs and just being able yeah. to, you know, have a hug per day. Like they were saying, I can't remember the exact numbers, but something like three hugs a day makes you like maintain sanity where like 12 hugs a day make you thrive. And so, you know, when we're, we're social creatures, we're meant Mm. to, you know, socialize. And I know that right now it's also very difficult. So the people Mm. that are in your lives, you know, give some hugs because that'll also help. Yeah, definitely. I love that. So um, before we wrap it up then, Debbie, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you feel like I should have asked you, which would benefit the listeners? Oh, one of the things that I will say is um, as much as we can kind of guess what's happening for somebody with their cortisol and what their stress response is, never guess, always test, Yeah. right? Um, Especially when it comes to cortisol, because there could be like, oh, well, it could be that this is happening, but we might be totally off. And being able to test your levels offers... um, more accuracy in evaluating what's going on and appropriateness for your treatment plan too. Yeah. Um, so yes, never yeah. guess, always test. I, yeah, I love that, that um, tagline. I think that's really important. I, and I, I feel that we're in a time now where testing and having that insight into what's going on has never been more accessible to us. Okay. And, but I will caveat that with make sure that if you are going to get tested, that you have a practitioner that understands yes, it. Yes. Otherwise you can go so off much. on a real big tangent and Absolutely. Uh, yeah, the results won't be positive. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent agree. Like if you're going to do the testing, yeah. have somebody that can really yeah. guide you, somebody that, um, that you trust as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for coming on to the podcast today. Uh, yes. It's been amazing. Thank you for having you me. And uh, yeah, enjoy the holidays. Um, I don't well. know what it's like over there, whether you can meet family or, or whatever, but um, yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yes, we are. We are definitely limited, but thank goodness for technology, right? At least Absolutely. I can, you know, see people's faces through their FaceTime yeah. or Zoom, and that's Absolutely. made a big difference for virtual hub. you as well. <laughs> yeah, yes, awesome. Yeah, thank you very much, Debbie, and um, take care. And I'll speak to you soon. Thank you, you as well. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Fitter Healthier Dad podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please hit subscribe. And I would really appreciate if you could leave a review on iTunes. All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes. And a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com. Bye.